Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show and our preview of the Africa Cup of Nations 2024. Or is it 23? Let's find out soon. On today's episode, we'll look at the runners and riders from the tournament in the Ivory Coast, the teams and players we're most excited to watch, and much, much more. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to talk all things AFCON, we have Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello, my friend. Excited to be here. Excited to have you here talking and having your sound of your voice in our ears, as always. Thanks. Seamless. Seamless <laughs> introduction by you. That's why I get the big bucks. Also joining <laughs> us, Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hey, I am, I'm stoked for this episode. Taylor, you talk all the time about when you get in and start to do research on a tournament oh, yeah. and start to think more about it. You get more and more excited. And, and Taylor and I did the MLS show yesterday with David Goss. It was great to have him back on the show. And we mentioned that we were doing this preview tomorrow. And Goss was like, I'm hyped for AFCON. And all of these things coming together have me really, really looking forward to this tournament. Indeed. Graham Rutherford, uh, sicknesses Graham Rutherford, hello to you. <laughs> Are you looking forward to having your January brightened by an international tourney? Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, I am. I love AFCON, although I have to say, slightly worried. You said it's uh, AFCON 2023. Are we still mm. in 2023? And I, I missed that. I know we were, in, we were in 2020 for like three or four years. Have we now moved forward to 2023 and it's going to be 2023 for the next four or five years? So we have to stop naming tournaments after years they're not being played <laughs> frankly. This Correct. happened with the Euros. It's happened the last two AFCONs, I believe. Yeah. This is AFCON 2023, originally scheduled for last summer, I believe. They need right? to stop printing the T-shirts and the mugs so early is the lesson yeah. here. How have we not learned that lesson yet? <laughs> would you rather have Would you rather have a tournament in the wrong year, like we're getting with AFCON, or would you rather have... Joe, do you know the Chiefs stadium name off the top of your head? I, unfortunately, I do, yes. Arrowhead. I'm broken inside. Arrowhead. Okay, well, okay. everyone no. knows. Cool. All right, but, never mind. But no, but now it's like the... Because the field is sponsored, <laughs> so they didn't have to change the stadium name. So it's like the whatever company field at Arrowhead Stadium. Would oh, you rather wow. have the super long corporate name to a tournament, or would you rather have the wrong year? So AFCON 2023 and 2024 as the <laughs> yeah, official title. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Presented by 2024. <laughs> the, uh, at Arrowhead Stadium on... I'm assuming Amazon Prime Field. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Joe, I thought you were a Swifty. Arrowhead, come on, man. Yeah, Get I guess I guess that's not like a unique fact to know anymore. I'm just going to have to learn every other NFL stadium instead. State Farm Stadium, baby, let's go. Again, none of you are saying the sponsor, and we're probably going to hear about it from whomever it is who sponsors that field. Indeed. That's fine. Uh, well, I hope they're a sponsor of this show one day. Let's say that much. Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you'd like to sponsor us in a way or support the show with bonus content there. We've got uh, bonus videos, episodes, and of course, access to our Discord where all the cool kids are hanging out. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, please and thank you. So, AFCON twenty twenty. Three? What are we going to go with here? Three or 2023. four? 2023, that's the official okay. title. Let's go with Fine. that. 
All right, we've printed the T-shirts, as you say. Uh, taking place in the Ivory Coast, uh, they are two-time champions in 92 and 2015. It stars Graham this Saturday, the 13th. It runs all the way through to February 11th, so nearly a month of action here. Um, interestingly, it was, uh, as I mentioned, moved back from last summer uh, because of adverse, adverse weather conditions in the Ivory mm. Coast then, but it's not heat, incidentally, because the average heat is actually higher in January, 92 Fahrenheit than it would have been around 85 in July. It's because July is rainy season in Western Central Africa, tropical rain season. They would be getting a lot of uh, inclement rainy weather if they had held it. I didn't know you could could move football matches in a tournament for rainy season. Just checking for Scotland, by the way. Is there there a non-rainy season? There'd be nowhere to move them to, Grim. You have to move them to another country. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've tried that as well. But yeah, yeah, rainy season in Scotland is just all year round. But I think rainy season Ivory Coast is is pretty extreme, um, even by Scottish standards. So it makes sense to not play it in the rainy season. Yes, indeed. Hence the year issue and hence uh, I think we, the last few AFCONs, we've tried to get them, well, not we, but they have tried to get them in the summer. And it's always uh, the European summer, I should say, or the North, uh, you know. Northern Hemisphere yeah. summer, I should say. They I'm changed it in 2019 <laughs> to a summer. Obviously, that's one of the, the big things about AFCON. It comes around and often comes around in the middle of the season. And it's sort of, from a Eurocentric point of view anyway, it sort of mm. feels like a bit of a nuisance and all the chat is about clubs having to do without players. And so in 2019, CAF decided that they were going to finally relent to outside pressure and change it to a, a summer schedule. Since then, uh, COVID happened and now the rainy season in Ivory Coast has made it impossible. So I think the plan is for 2025, which is to be hosted by Morocco, um, I believe. In which year? It will snap back. Well, I, ho- I think the plan is to snap back to actually being in the year it's planned for and to be in the summer as well. So we'll see about that. Yeah, I, I, I've seen a lot of comments about this and about the timing. And this was the exact same thing in the last AFCON. Uh, CAF should be able to do whatever they want. Like, obviously, it's not ideal for some of the European clubs, but they should not have to be beholden to UEFA to decide when they should hold their own confederations tournament. So, again, a lot of the high-profile voices in this sport are going to be inconvenienced by this competition. But for spectators, for fans, for folks in Africa, for the teams, for the players, like, they, do do what you want. Like, hold your tournament when you want. And I am, personally, no less excited for this tournament happening now-ish than I would be if it was happening in the summer. Absolutely. Uh, so the tournament taking place in six stadiums in five host cities in the Ivory Coast. The final is at the Alassane Otora Stadium, which is the Olympic Stadium, as it's known. Uh, first opened in 2020. Uh, it looks amazing. It looks really modern and beautiful. So I'm looking forward to seeing some games uh, taking place there. It's the first major tournament it's hosting. It's got 10 games, including the quarterfinal, semifinal, and the final. Uh, we have a qualification for this tournament. I'm just running through all the, the Wikipedia stuff for you to see, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> we started off with with dates and then weather. Like, yeah. is this a podcast we're for 75-year-olds? Is that what we've done here? We're just setting the table. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think it's useful to know about rainy season in Western, Western Central Africa, frankly, Taylor. I appreciate the uh, the geographical advice here. Uh, 52 of 54 teams in CAF were in qualification for this one between March 22 and October 23. Uh, the mascot, by the way, is called Aquaba. It's an anthropomorphic elephant, it appears to be. Aquaba means welcome in Boule. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's the language spoken in regions of Ivory Coast. The official language, though, of course, is French in the Ivory Coast. Uh, Joe, should we start the conversation by talking about perhaps some of the favourites? And perhaps no less a favourite is Senegal, who uh, got their first title last time around, reigning champs. 
Um, how much are they in the uh, driver's seat for this one? The catbird seat, excuse me, sorry, Joe. Hey. Yeah, let's let's get some respect on the catbird seat's name. I, I think Senegal are the favorite for this competition. That's not to say that there aren't other teams that are very much in contention to win it. I think there is sort of a top tier of favorites, and then Senegal sort of stand out among the rest to me. With that being said, there has been some change in the demographics of the Senegal squad, even thinking about some of the names that probably come to mind first with this group, getting older, number one, and going to Saudi Arabia, number two, which I'm curious to see how that changes the calculus and if the squad looks any different when some of these players are on the field. But names that a lot of folks know and are among the elites in Africa, Edouard Mendy likely to start in goal, a very good option there despite some issues with Chelsea in the past. Kalidou Koulibaly is a name that a lot of folks know, Sadio Mane, Papasara in midfield, Idrissa Ganagay, Cheku Kouyate. Like, this is a, a very talented squad. Nicholas Jackson as well, Chelsea number nine. This is a team that probably has more top-end talent and more depth than any other team in this region. Now, there are other very good teams. Again, we'll talk about Morocco, we'll talk about Egypt and Ivory Coast and other squads here. But Senegal are the second highest ranked team based on the FIFA rankings in CAF. Morocco are number one, and I would wager a lot of money that that is still heavily based off of their World Cup run, where they made it all the way to the semifinal and fair play there. But Senegal are the second highest team in the uh, highest ranked team in CAF. Now, they're in a really interesting group, guys. And uh, the group dynamics here kind of fascinate me. They're in group C, along with Cameroon, who are very good as well, and I think have a shot to win this whole thing. The Gambia and Guinea. And there's talent in all of those squads. I think the odds would say that Senegal and Cameroon are the most likely two teams to make it out. But man, Senegal, based off of what they did last time and, and the sheer amount of talent in this team, it's really hard to look past them when you're talking about potential winners. The, the last AFCON was such a significant moment for, for Senegal and um, because they hadn't won it before. They actually hadn't won anything as a national team since they gained independence. Since the last AFCON, though, and this kind of just underlines how important that was for them, they've become the dominant force in African football. I know, obviously, Morocco make the, the semifinals of the World Cup, but since the last AFCON, Senegal, um, they've won the, the U20 and U17 AFCONs, they've won the beach soccer AFCON, which I presume Gerard Piquet either, either runs or is making it, he wants to run that at some point mm. in, in the future. And it just feels like Senegal have become this dominant force that for a long time they, they, they threatened to be. Joe mentions the talent that they have within their squad. I am really split on how to view that talent because as as you mentioned, Joe, there's there's names, there's recognisable names. They maybe have the most stacked squad in terms of um, of talent. But you could argue that they're between generations a little bit now. So they do have Mane, Koulibaly, Adrissagana Gay. As you mentioned, some of those have gone to Saudi Arabia. They might be slightly over the hill now. And then the next generation, even though it is quite exciting, and we're going to talk about one player in particular, I think about a little bit later on, it isn't quite in place to take over from those established stars. And I heard them described as being, this This wasn't my term, but I think it describes their situation perfectly, maybe two years too late and two years too early. And I think that sums up the concern around this team. Some of the players who were meant to be the bridge between those two generations, so I'm thinking of players like Ismail Assar and Ilaman and Dai, they were meant to be that that bridge. They've lost their way a little bit, both for Marseille, incidentally. They've, they both went to Marseille and haven't really um, done so well for them. So that would be my concern with Senegal. I think there are plenty of things that are in their favour. The climate in Ivory Coast, as I understand it, is relatively um, kind of similar. The one big talking about uh, talking point around Senegal ahead of this tournament is the political situation back home. I don't pretend to be an expert on the whole thing, but essentially before, I'll keep this short, 
the presidential election last year, the government dissolved the main opposition party. Um, democratically, that doesn't seem ideal, I have to say, and there have been violent protests and it still hasn't been resolved. And I was listening to one Senegalese journalist who was saying that in Senegal, there's very little excitement about the AFCON this year. No flags, no fan zones planned. And that is very different to 2021, apparently when there was this big movement from the fans and it was this big big target to win that tournament. So I'm not an athlete. I don't know if you can put that to one side for a, a tournament. I don't know if that will matter on the pitch, but that is some background that I think is worth mentioning. I, I think that's a, that's a really good point, Graham. I, I think I also uh, did a 101 on uh, Soccer 101 on Didier Drogba and sort of the myth, but maybe also valid statement that he like helped end the civil war in the Ivory Coast when they qualified for the World Cup and bringing opposition parties together. And so I do then look at Senegal and wonder if there's an opportunity for this team to be sort of a like rallying point or or sort of just a distraction for the people of Senegal to focus on their national team as they do uh, big things in the continental tournament. I also wonder with some of I saw some of that similar sort of coverage of are they two years too late, two years too early. And I do wonder I'm not saying you're doing this, Graham, but I do wonder if some of that is because. Western media and the emphasis on the, a lot of these players moving to Saudi Arabia, there's an immediate like, ah, oh, they're all playing in Saudi Arabia. Are they still any good? And if this were a year ago or two years ago, you look at who these who these players would be playing for, the teams they're on and the quality of competition they're playing in. And I think it it automatically vaults them into a different conversation. And I think that talent hasn't just fallen away because they're in Saudi Arabia. So Koulibaly, I think, is still quite a good player. Sadio Mane, the same. Edward Mendy. Uh, even uh, Habib Jallo is another player who moved to Al-Shabaab, but I think is a quality player. So I think there's still a lot of talent there. I do wonder how much of that is covered by, oh, they don't play, they don't all play in the Premier League anymore for gigantic teams. So are they still good? We don't know. And, and I think that might be looking at the teams they play for rather than the players themselves. Out of uh, curiosity, I googled if El Hadji Juf is involved in the Senegalese yes. setup in any way. Yeah, go on, Graham. Yeah, I watched the um, the the Netflix Captains of the World docu series, which, by the way, terrible name. Not sure what that name is all about, but basically, it's Netflix's World Cup documentary. And they fall, Senegal is one of the teams that they feature heavily. And that's one of the things I really like about their national setup is that, you know, uh, Aloucisse is obviously the manager and he was part of that gr- that great Senegal team that beat France in the 2002 World Cup. And El Hadji Diouf was also part of that team, also part of the coaching staff. He seems a little bit more, how would I put it, excitable than Aloucisse. Aloucisse, very huh. calm, very calming presence on the training pitch and at the side of the pitch. Diouf. Not so much. You're and saying, given what we know about him as a player, yeah. that, that fits. <laughs> you're, you're saying a man nicknamed the camel for his propensity to spit at people is, yeah. is fiery on the sidelines? The devil, you say. The, the best bit, Taylor, is that he was actually, for the Senegalese government, a goodwill ambassador at one point. The man with the least goodwill on earth, I would suggest. <laughs> I like it. I like Very it. good indeed. Um, Graham, the Lions of Taranga are, in fact, second favourites in this tournament behind Morocco, who have their highest FIFA rankings at the moment, seeking their first title here since 1976. Obviously, uh, had a very good showing at the Qatar World Cup as well and have a pretty stacked team. Yeah, indeed. So I have tipped uh, Morocco to win AFCON. I've I've done some AFCON uh, betting tips. And as you mentioned, Ryan, they haven't won it since 1976. That feels like a big next objective for them after making the semifinals in in, in Qatar. And I think there's two sides to this argument, right? So I'll do the the positive side. I'll make the argument for Morocco. And then I guess I'll make the argument against... I, I think tournament football suits them in terms of their tactical setup. We saw that at the World Cup. They like to sit back, absorb pressure, and then hit out on the counter-attack. 
and they have players to play that way. So Sofian Amrabat made more ball recoveries than any player at the Qatar World Cup. And then on the counter, Akhaf Hakimi recorded more, um, let me get this right, chance-creating carries than anyone at the Qatar World Cup, besides Dembele and Mbappe for France, obviously. I think Unani was, was up there as well in terms of his creative numbers. So if Morocco can get those players, those three players in particular, flying, I think they will be difficult to beat at, at this tournament. And that's kind of what I'm counting on with my tip, is, is their ability to get those players um, playing well. The thing I'm worried about with Morocco at, at, at this tournament is that maybe the matchups won't suit them in the way that they did at the World Cup. So a lot of games, I think Morocco actually, they won every game at the World Cup that they had less possession than the opposition. And in the two games that they had more possession, which was against France and in the third place game against Croatia, I think they lost. So they, they want other teams to have the ball and, and they want to basically play the underdog role. They might not be able to do that at AFCON. It sort of depends on the matchups that they get. I, I don't think they're going to have any trouble getting out of their group, even though they are definitely the kind of big dog in that in that group. I think they'll be fine getting out of the group. It really depends on the matchups and the knockout rounds. And I think the bracket projects that they'll get Egypt in the quarterfinals. We'll come on to Egypt a little bit later on, but they, they like to have the ball. So that actually could work. For Morocco, so I'm kind of I've I've made my tip on the basis of how I think the bracket might pan out, but if there's any deviation from that, then I might be worried for Morocco. Yeah, yeah, Graham. That looking past the group stage, I think is is really well done on your part because I agree with everything you just said about Morocco. Extremely talented, but you go through and look at at the World Cup. You know, why did Hakimi have so many chance creating carries? Why did Amrabat have the most recoveries or whatever the stat was? Because Morocco never had the ball. They had 39% possession on average across seven games at the World Cup. That straight up will not happen in this tournament. They're in Group F along with the DR Congo, with Tanzania, Zambia. Like Morocco are the big favorite in that group, and, and they will advance, right? I'll be shocked if they don't get out of the group. Six groups, you know, top two teams from each group advance, the best four third place teams advance. Getting out of the group is not very difficult in tournaments of this format, one that we're seeing in various continental competitions across the world. So Morocco are going to advance, and they have the talent to contend with and anybody. They have the talent to contend with anybody. They have the talent to be favored man versus man against basically anybody in this competition. The question is, can Walid Regregi institute, institute enough like basic possession principles into this team? Or can the players freelance their way through to create enough against teams that are going to sit deeper? And as far as I'm concerned, that is a pretty open question. Taylor, I seem to remember, if memory serves, you were quite bullish about Morocco at the World Cup when we were in Brooklyn watching it, and rightly so. You even willed them to uh, one of their major star players to be sold to the team you support uh, afterwards. And it's gone swimmingly. It's been great. It's been great so far. Um, do we think they're going to be a fun team to watch? Uh, you know, defending is uh, perhaps among their fortes. Are we going to um, see some exciting Moroccan action here? I did, until Graham and Joe started talking, and now I'm I'm sort of... Further in my belief that I think this team might flame out a little bit uh, because I, I think you do have that clash of styles that they're in a group where they're expected to be a dominant team and they're expected to have more possession and create more chances. And if they struggle uh, because every team struggles to break down a low block, a Joe Lowry point that I really much enjoy, uh, I, I wonder then if they will make the knockout round, obviously. But then the question is, like, can they transition into that more giving up possession and counterattacking style on the fly. Uh, do they still have the personnel to do so? It feels like a lot of familiar faces, and I think sometimes that can lead to not complacency necessarily, but it's like a known entity. We think they're going to be great. 
and then they kind of show up again and don't achieve what they did in the past tournament. But then there's also a nation like Croatia, who every single time I think, okay, this is the one where they can't possibly do it again, they do it again. So Morocco could be that team that string a bunch of results together, find that consistency, rely on their star players to get through. But I also think there's a potential for a little bit of self-destruction and maybe they get caught in one of the knockout rounds earlier than expected. All right. After this quick break, we'll talk about more of the favorites. We're going to talk about the teams we're excited to watch and the players we can't wait to see take the field in this AFCON tournament. Back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, It's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We're talking AFCON. Why don't we, Taylor, talk about the hosts uh, yes. who have uh, plenty of talent on their team. Uh, one player not selected, Wilfried Zaha, controversially not going to be involved in this tournament. Uh, what do we make of their chances on home soil? I think that omission is pretty fascinating because it does show you 
the strength and depth, but then there is also a willingness to drop star performers who haven't been at the level or maybe been at the level that the coach wanted when it came to team consistency, which seems to be the case with Wilfred Zaha dropped by Jean-Louis Gasset. And and I sort of like that. It means that they're going to be relying on maybe a couple fewer household names, uh, but that also gives opportunities to younger players. And I have a young player for the Evercoast that I'm really excited to watch. But there are... Plenty of big names in there. There's plenty of talent. They are a very deep squad, similar to ones we've already discussed. Uh, and I, I think they will make a pretty lengthy run. I have them at the very least making the finals, uh, if not winning it. Oh, wow. When, yeah, when I, when I look at the, the Ivory Coast team, Taylor, it, it's full of players who we know, we've seen play, and we know how good they are, but somehow still kind of fly under the radar a little bit. Like Evan and Dika is, is a great example of, of, of this. Roma defender, uh, still only 24 years old. Abraham Singari is, is another at Nottingham Forest now. He's so um, good. That, yeah, he's he's he was excellent for PSV. Hasn't quite reached those heights for Nottingham Forest yet, but I still think he's an excellent player. Jeremy Boga, Simon Adingra, Wilfred Songo at, at Monaco, who's only 23 years old. He's one of the kind of their next big young stars. And then you add in the experience of players like Sebastian Hilaire, Hilaire and, and Frank Kessie and Willie Bolly. Yeah, I think they're a pretty complete team. And I just like the balance of individuals, at least, um, that they have across their squad. Agreed uh, on that. And then agreed on that. Like, I think basically that they're making smart decisions along the way. Uh, so you mentioned Evan Indica. I would, Indica, I would assume that he will start. Uh, I, I read a, a few different previews on them. And the consensus seemed to be that it will be Usman Diomande uh, starting alongside him, the sporting uh, CP defender. He only has three caps. He's only 20 years old. Uh, but that is fascinating to me because another defender in this squad would be Odilan Kosonu, uh, who's had such a strong season for Bayer Leverkusen. I have to get them mentioned at some point in this Woo. episode. Um, so maybe I'm, I'm assuming Kosonu will play at some point in this tournament as a substitute. Maybe they shift to a back three. Maybe he starts a game or two along the way. But even just there, that you're not getting the sort of like, well, it's the guy who's top of the Bundesliga. He's going to be starting. No, instead a 20-year-old is starting because that partnership has yeah. been strong consistently. They have rapport. So uh, stick with what brung you. And then also whenever you have, have Serge Aurier captaining a team, I sort of can't look away because it could be great and it could also be chaos along the way or a combination of the two. <laughs> Arise, Sir Jorier. Very yes, good. Sir. Looking forward to seeing that. Uh, Joe, are you as, uh, as bullish to use that term once again about Ivory Coast chances of going deep in this tournament? I think they've got a really good shot to go deep. They are third on my list of favorites. So I've got Senegal number one, Morocco number two, Ivory Coast are number three. I'm not totally sure on, on them even owning that third spot. I think... Algeria, Cameroon, Egypt, and Nigeria fill out the sort of top group of contenders in my mind. And I'm not sure if Ivory Coast belong on talent third or maybe a little bit lower. It is a very, very good squad. And I don't know how to quantify the value of hosting the tournament. I think that does have real value. And I think it will help Ivory Coast along the way. But I mean, as Taylor and Graham have discussed, it is a very, very good squad. To quickly sort of run through my other contenders, and I'm curious if, if anybody else has thoughts on these as well. Nigeria are, are missing a couple of names that we know. No Wilfred Ndidi, no Victor Boniface in this team. Uh, but I think they've probably got the second best player at this whole tournament by the name of Victor Osimhen, who's in the middle of trying to deal with like backlash from Kavara Donna's agent, who's telling yeah. people that he's going to Saudi Arabia. And Osimhen's posting stuff on Instagram and his agent's making statements. It's It's been chaos really over the entire season for Osimhen. But on the field, this guy is unbelievably good. And Nigeria have so much talent, especially through the middle. So I, I like their chances of, of causing problems in that area. 
Then you look at Egypt. It's a veteran group, and they do have the best player at this tournament, in my mind, in Mo Salah. We mentioned, you know, they sort of do like to keep the ball. They have a lot of players who are based in Africa. It's a very interesting squad. Algeria have, obviously, dangerous attackers. Islam Slimani never goes away and is at every single tournament for all of time. He's still in this team. He can still score goals. We know Riyad Mahrez, and they have a lot of talented midfielders as well. Ismail Benasser, Nabil Bentaleb, a name that is a blast in the past for me in the Bundesliga. But there's, there's so much good stuff there. And then Cameroon have loads of quality as well, and I'll come on to them later. Lots, lots of teams that I think could get the job done in the Ivory Coast. Yeah, just a, another quick beat, beat on uh, Egypt, because obviously uh, they have to be in any discussion ab- ab- about AFCON favourites, but they've won it more times than any other team. That I kind of think of Egypt and AFCON in the same way that I think of Real Madrid in the Champions League. They just have this kind of like intangible ability to turn it on for this one tournament. Egypt famously don't really do much in World Cup qualifying or or when they make it to World Cups, but AFCON, it's a different story. Um the the change in style with Egypt I find really interest from interesting from the last Afcon to this not one emphatically yeah so I <laughs> obviously Egypt made the final they lost to Senegal Senegal on penalties at, at the last tournament so they had um, in a binary sense a, a successful tournament I guess but I remember watching Egypt at that tournament and not enjoying it I didn't have fun watching them they were very defensively sound but basically the idea was to be well organized have that basis and then give Salah the space that he wants and then basically ask him to do something in the, in the final third. Um, and since then they've hired Rui uh, Vitoria, who is a Portuguese manager. You might remember him from when he was at Benfica a few years ago. He was there for four or five seasons and he does have those defensive principles, but he wants Egypt to be much more proactive in their pressing and winning the ball back. And he was asked about this approach at the press conference where he announced his squad. And he said, quote, we want to maintain possession. And when we lose the ball, we try to recover it quickly. And we always try to keep our team organized and and balanced. I think that pretty much sums up the approach from Egypt at this tournament. So there has been that progression from the last AFCON, but also some questions over Vittoria's squad selection. So centre-back Yasser Ibrahim has been left out. That's caused the biggest controversy. There's a couple other selections that have been the subject of discussion as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how much of that change of approach has set up Egypt to have a good tournament because it's not always easy to... Egypt seemed to play that way under two or three different managers for like 10 years, certainly at AFCONs. And so switching to this style with a squad that is essentially kind of the same as it was two years ago... Yeah, it's kind of like a science inspe- experiment. I'm kind of, I'm looking forward to see how that how that how that goes. With Egypt, like Joe talked about Islam Slimani being uh seemingly immortal. I think he was their leading scorer when Algeria won in 1990. Uh, <laughs> not a true fact, but it feels like a true fact. <laughs> Similar Ahmed Hagazi, still around. I feel like he's only 32. I feel like he should be 45. But he is in this Egypt team expected to play. I for sure thought that he had retired and was maybe coaching now. But no, here he is, uh, still playing at 32, and it makes me happy. Wow. It feels, Taylor, perception-wise, is it fair to say Egypt are to CAF what Germany are to UEFA in terms of maybe like heritage in continental competition, in terms of dominance? Although, to be fair, Germany don't lose shootouts in knockout games. <laughs> Burn. I mean, I, I, I like that. I like Graham's uh, comparison up front with, with Real Madrid and AFCON, where it just feels like, yeah, you can't can't really write them off even if there are teams that seem to be deeper that seem to have like more talent across the board i still just think egypt have have had success in the past they have mohammed salah the best player in this tournament to joe's point uh and i'll talk about him later but i think they have a player who can be complementary to salah in a way that they haven't had 
previously. I think that was meant to be Trezeguet in tournaments past, and he didn't quite live up to that hype, especially when Mohamed Salah has to miss tournaments, and then it's all about Trezeguet. That's not great, but I think they have a player this time who can sort of help carry that attacking load, and I think Egypt will uh, once again make a, a, a pretty deep run. Okay. Joe, can you tell us more about Cameroon? Um to follow on from your thought earlier. I would love to tell them more about Cameroon. They are maybe the team I'm most excited to watch at this tournament. Now, I don't want that to get twisted into me me saying that they're the best <coughs> team in the tournament because I don't think they are. But Joe there is, says they're the best team in the tournament. Yep, right. Taylor, um, everyone email in your complaints mm-hmm. when they lose yep. to TaylorTotalSoccerShow.com. Uh, there <laughs> is so much, there's so much quality in this team, which I'll get to. But first, because they're the team I'm most excited to watch, there is so much chaotic energy in this team. So I want to I want to start there. Uh, we're looking at Nuhu, first of all. Come on now. One of three Major League Soccer players in this tournament. He will bring the chaos, and every Seattle Sounders fan knows that. Vincent Abubakar, who pulled off my favorite goal, the 2022 World yeah. Cup. That ridiculous, sublime, almost voluptuous chip in the World Cup. Like, it is absurd, that goal. If you haven't seen it or haven't seen it today, go and, wa- go and watch it because it's awesome. Oh, and then there's Andre Onana in goal. So there's an element of chaos is, is right there. there? Who, is well, there yeah, he, has he decided whether he's actually going to play? You he's know how showing most up players, a day before they start, I think. Yeah, I most don't players think in Europe. Play. Most players in Europe have that decision of, you know, should I go to AFCON? Obviously, most of them do go to AFCON. Andre Anana has just decided I'm going to do both. I think he's going to play for Manchester United and play for Cameroon, it seems. Did you all read about, like, what's been going on with him, aside from what's been going on with him at club level? Because it is pretty fascinating. I really don't think he's going to play in this tournament. I think there's Well, a he, re- he retired, didn't he, last year? Yeah. Or, uh, or was retired by the... It's, it's Rigobert Song, right? Who's the, yeah, the, the had, had a falling manager. out with Rigobert Song, who... So is uh, sent home the same as retired? Now? What? He then <laughs> retired. He he okay. then like self-retired afterwards, said he would never play for for the team again. Uh, he pulled a Joaquin Phoenix. I'll never attend an award ceremony and then att- attends them all from then on out. Uh, it does seem like the coach, Rigobert Song, did not want him back. It seems like Samuel Eto'o, who's, is he the president of the Federation, I believe, uh, also did not want him back. But it sounds like maybe the government requested he come back and play. Uh, so he has... Come back to the fold. It does not seem like things are better, though, with, with Rigobert Song. It seems like he's basically been brought back because he is such a high-profile player. Uh, but I don't know if he's going to start. If he doesn't, it will likely be Fabrice uh, Ondoa uh, from Nîmes. He's a 28-year-old who has more caps for the national team, so it won't be necessarily a huge drop-off. They still have plenty of experience, but that is a fascinating thing to keep an eye on, all of the kind of infighting and fractions in that team that could come together or could explode uh, dramatically. Very much so. And, and that was the whole Anana saga was very much a part of their World Cup in 2022. And so there are ties here that will be very familiar to a lot of folks. In terms of the other key pieces of this team, they're missing Brian and Buemo due to injury. And that is a really big loss for them in the wide areas. The talent level is really high without them probably quite being in that top three or top two category. Carl Toko Akambi is always a, a really strong attacker for this team, can play through the middle, can play a little bit wider, probably will end up being a bit wider with Abubakar more central because he is he's the more number 90 of those two number nines. Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa is a brilliant player, one of the best number eights in all of Serie A, so good on the ball, so clean. We, we, we watch him for Napoli quite frequently, and he is absolutely fantastic. Like There are very, very good players in this team. I am curious, and the Onana situation is sort of a microcosm maybe of the whole squad. I'm curious to see if this is going to help propel them do something or if this will zap them and they won't make it out. They're in that tough group in Group C. So I'm fascinated to see how that group in particular will unfold. 
Taylor, can we can we head back to a, a little chat about Nigeria? Uh, obviously, yes. got some pretty good form going into this tournament, um, but do didn't do so well in the last. Well, I think they're unbeaten in a few games going into this tournament. But I, they, they, I think they might have drawn like every game. I they lost. I believe they lost two days ago. Uh, yeah, they lost to Guinea in a warm up match. Yeah, uh, and before okay, that draws uh, a couple of wins, but then a horrific run of form. I was let me rephrase: shot. mixed form going into this Fair. tournament, Taylor. <laughs> and uh, but you know, obviously, uh, some decent players on, on the uh, and didn't do too well at the last Afcon as well. We should say that too. True. Joe, did you have them as one of your favorites? I think they're in. I think they are outside the top three, but I think they're in the top six to eight teams in this competition. And I, I, yeah, I totally think that. Can you go ahead and tell me about any of their defenders or any of their central midfielders? Yeah, Nigeria, not an entirely balanced (laughs) squad. But like, I don't think that that's necessarily a a massive problem. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Uh, Could could be a big problem. That's kind of why I am. Um, I wouldn't say I'm excited necessarily to watch Nigeria at this tournament, but certainly interesting because of how top heavy they are as a squad. Like I'm interested as to how that's going to work. It probably won't work is my suspicion. I was really interested how it was going to work when Victor Boniface was fit. He has since gone yeah. home from the camp with an injury, which is not just a, a, a real uh, a real blow to this tournament. It's a huge blow for Bayer Leverkusen. Apparently he's going to be out for, for two months. So we, we'll see how that impacts their Bundesliga chances. But everything that I have read... Everything that I I have seen and listened to previewing um, Nigeria suggested that Osman and Boniface were going to start as a front two, and it's a little bit like having Haaland and Harry Kane starting as a, as a front two together. Like it feels like it won't work, it shouldn't work, but there's that little bit at the back of your mind that goes, "What if it does work? It could unlock the whole thing. We could we could uh, we could discover new worlds if this works. If uh, if Boniface and Osman uh, work together, so yeah." I'm not sure I'm excited about Nigeria, but I'm interested because they have not been good recently, but they've got such attacking talent. Yeah, I think they really could be all over the place. They could be really fun at at moments in this tournament. I think they could also flame out pretty spectacularly. That attacking talent is insane. Uh, Graham, you mentioned they could have started Osimhen and Boniface uh, likely in a 4-4-2. What I read is that it's most likely to be Kalechi Iannaccio as the uh, other striker then who's better at dropping in and sort of linking play as a number 10 with Osimhen running in behind and making the runs that we've come to know from him. But you've got uh, Samuel Chukweze who I think will play as a left midfielder in that 4-4-2. You've got Adamola Lukman who's been in excellent form this season on the right. I still have questions about who's going to play in the middle. I think it will be Alex Awobi. I'm not sure who else is going to be in there because of injuries. They're missing some key players, but they still have Moses Simon as their captain. He can play up top. They've got Umar Sadiq who can play who can play in attacking Joe roles. Rebo as well. Can yeah. he's played in that kind of secondary striker role? I know he's in the championship now, but I think he's great. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Joe Rebo. So there's just so much attacking talent there. I would love for them to go with just like a I don't know, a four zero six formation and just let it rip and see what happens uh because yeah the further back you go there are some names in there there are some somewhat strong names but i think overall i i have questions about their defense i have questions about that midfield as well all right uh joe any more uh favorites to mention or teams we're excited to watch before we move on from the team categories um haven't mentioned much about algeria maybe a few other teams yeah i'm not i'm not crazy excited to watch algeria i think they have the talent to do some pretty impressive things because they're a team that has one of the real superstars in this continent in riyad mares if we're talking about another team that i am sneaky excited to watch it's mali who are absolutely stacked in midfield use basuma Amadou Hiyadara, like there are so much fun in that midfield area. It's an, it's also Mali in an extremely balanced group E. So 
I don't think there's like an obvious team. Tunisia is the favorite to get out, but I don't think it's like they're guaranteed to get out of this group. I think Group E could be one that has some real chaos. And there's also on Mali, this is not a, a breakout player that we'll get onto later, um, but a player that I am excited to watch who I think is an under-the-radar kind of key player for them, Aliou Diang. 26 years old, plays for Al-Ali in Egypt. Uh, that's like the powerhouse club in Egypt. They're based in Cairo. Like they are a big deal in that nation. Diang is rangy. He's an imposing defensive-minded midfielder. He's somebody that has really stood out to me when I've watched Al-Ali games in the past and when I've watched this Mali team play. He is a ton of fun to watch. He gets from point A to point B super quick in central midfield and can, and can connect passes with that right foot. He is going to, and I'll likely have fell out some of their sort of their central midfield area. Uh, it's hard to imagine a lot of teams entering into a midfield battle with Mali and coming out on top. Yeah, Joe, I agree with everything you've said there, Joe. Just very quick, Taylor. Um, one thing that I'm concerned about, though, is their lack of like a reliable goal scorer. Oh, I'm not saying lines. Mali are, are going to win this thing. Get Freddie Canute yeah. <laughs> back. Get Freddie Canute back. He's only 46 years old. What could go wrong? Yeah, well, maybe maybe he uh, would still get a game for this team. But yeah, they have they have some young talents in that area who maybe could become that player in the future. So they've got uh, Seku Koita and Nene Dogales, both at uh, Red Bull Salzburg. And obviously we know their reputation for kind of harnessing young players. But left winger Musa uh, Dumbia, he, he's the top goal scorer in the whole squad. And he's got six goals and 43 caps. So... Yeah, if we're projecting Mali going, I agree, Joe, they could be, they're, they're young and exciting. Maybe they're the surprise package. But if we're projecting them going all the way or making a deep run, that that's where I think they fall down against some of the other teams who have that reliable goal scorer. Yeah, I think I think round of 16 or quarterfinal is probably the ceiling for this squad. All right. Uh, why don't we take a quick break? When we come back, we're going to talk about the key players. We're going to be watching this tournament and some of the big storylines back shortly. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We're talking all things AFCON. Taylor, it's time to talk about the players we want to spotlight. Could you give mm -hmm. us maybe a player you're excited to watch and someone you think might break out and make a name for themselves in the Ivory yeah. Coast? There are plenty of very big names that I think people will be familiar with and excited to watch. Uh, I went with one I was less familiar with, but in watching footage, uh, I am pretty excited about. It's Omar Marmouche uh, of Egypt. He is the one I was mentioning could be, I think, very useful at helping spread around the attacking load for Egypt. So it's not just Mohamed Salah trying to beat everybody. Marmouche is similar in my mind to Salah in that he is very good on the dribble and quick on the dribble. I don't know if like he's like fleet of foot necessarily it's just that Salah thing where he somehow can always push it past the defender and then gets around them I see Marmouche doing that a lot for Eintracht Frankfurt this season where he has been scoring goals getting assists he can hit a Travella but is also very good with both feet I saw him score a goal with a Travella I saw him score a goal with either foot uh, all of those from distance so is a pretty good finisher but I think it's just he's going to bring a directness in the way he dribbles and the way he wants to attack that Salah I think will certainly bring as well so I think the two of them combining I won't be surprised if there's uh, a Salah dribble that is then like cut across the box to Marmouche to score and vice versa I won't be surprised if he has one of those runs and then he cuts it back for Salah to score so I think he brings just a bit of balance to Egypt's attack and I think that makes me excited to watch both him and Egypt all right uh, and how about a player who you think might have a breakout? Uh, I think we all have thoughts on Lamina Kamara. Uh, so I'll, I'll save him for somebody else. Maybe there's two that I would spotlight. One would be uh, Simon Adingra. Uh, I'm really excited to see what he can bring uh, for Ivory Coast because they don't have 
consistently strong wing play to my understanding and he is a player who is is young only has maybe three caps so far uh but i think could potentially be a breakout player for them my guess is that he isn't going to be a regular starter but comes in as a like 60th minute substitute and the way he plays for brighton where he is somewhat tidy on the ball i I think there are moments when he sort of gets uh, going too quickly and maybe forgets to bring the ball with him or has a a heavy touch or can get caught in possession. But for all of those little errors, I see a player who wants to take people on, wants to drive at goal, wants to play that sort of quick transition to attack that we know Brighton to play and and are very capable of playing. And I think he can be that player for the Ivory Coast. So I imagine him coming into games against tired defenders and backing himself to take them on, to beat them, to get uh, shots of his own or set up shots for his teammates. He is a player who I think... Uh, certainly because of his connection to Brighton, I think already has eyes on him and has a little bit of hype behind him. But I think a strong performance in this tournament with a few goals, a few assists, a few dazzling runs, I think the estimations will continue to rise. Very nice. Graham, the floor is yours to talk about players who may not be or may or may not be uh, West Ham stars at this point. <laughs> yeah, so this might be a bit of an obvious shout, but I just can't get enough of Mohamed Kudus at the moment. He is one of my favourite players in world football to watch right now. I I just think he's so intelligent in terms of his movement and the way that he uses space. And as, as a forward, he sort of does everything and he can play everywhere and he's been excellent since joining West Ham in the summer and he was excellent for Ajax and for me, he's one of the big names of this tournament alongside, you know, Salah and Sadio Mane and, and, and Victor Osman. He is on that level in my in my book, at least in terms of his current level, not in terms of what he's achieved in, in the sport, of course. But right now, in terms of his form, he is he's right up there. He has arrived at the tournament with a bit of an injury that will have to be managed. So so that is a, a concern. And I also know that Kudush tends to play a deeper role for Ghana than, than he does at club level. I remember this being a talking point at the World Cup where... He started off as part of the midfield three and then they tweaked it a bit to to make it more of a 4-2-3-1 and Kudus ended up on the right side of the attack where he can kind of drift inside and that's what he does for, for West Ham very effectively. So I hope he gets used in that advanced position at this tournament, but Ghana have... Inyaki Williams as well, who is in the form of his life at club level, and Jordan Ayew and Antoine Semenyo, who is in excellent form for, for Bournemouth. So I sort of suspect that he will be in that midfield unit for Ghana. Also, Ghana are, are a, at a bit of a low ebb at the moment. Normally, we would mention them among the favourites. Right. Um, anyone who watched the US play Ghana a few months ago will know that they are not really up to much right now. But even still, I'm, I'm hopeful that Kurish will be able to rise above that and be one of the the stars of the tournament. Um, My player to watch, my breakout star, um, is potentially a player who might not, he might not be a first team figure, he might not start every game, but could still play an important role for Morocco, and that's Bilal uh, Alkanouche. So he's at Genk in Belgium, interesting um, that they poached him from Anderlecht's Youth Academy. He's been fantastic for Genk as an attacking midfielder. He won the the U23 AFCON with Morocco. He was on the shortlist for CAF Young Player of the Year. Um, I went and watched some of his game tape. He's got technical ability. He's got a quick change of direction. His attacking numbers for Genk this season have been very, very impressive. He makes a lot of progressive passes. He gets the ball into good areas. Um, And one of the reasons I think he could be really significant is if I take you back to our discussion about Morocco and playing against those low defensive blocks, Elkanush is the player that I think might be drafted in at certain points of matches to unlock 
opposition defences and make sure that Morocco are able to progress in games where the onus is on them to create. So he might not, as I say, might not be, might not start every single game, might not be a key figure for Morocco, but I think he still could be an important player. Joe, which players are you excited to see? I've got quite the list. This was easily my favourite part of getting to do this episode and digging into the tape and the numbers and all that stuff. I'll start with the the star that I'm hoping to see. And I say hoping because as we're sort of getting prepared for this episode over the last couple of days and digging into the, the rosters and the teams and all that stuff, Zero Girassi comes up with an injury for Guinea in our recent match against Nigeria. That was the one on Monday that was referenced earlier. Uh, it doesn't sound too serious, his injury. He comes off in the 27th minute. Uh, but it is worth noting, and if Girassi's not available for Guinea, it's a it's a massive, massive blow for them. The reason why I, I highlighted Girassi, he, I think, is one of the hottest, absolutely attacking stars coming into this competition. I don't think he is the best or the most well-rounded. We've already talked about Mo Salah and Sadio Mane and Kudush, and I mentioned Victor Osimhen earlier. Like, there are elite, elite attacking players in this tournament. Girassi is playing, though, like one of those players. He's never done this before. He's crazy hot right now for Stuttgart with 17 goals so far in the Bundesliga. That puts him only behind Harry Kane. And he's not, like, getting totally outclassed by Harry Kane either as Kane's breaking records left and right. I will let my ignorance show here, and I know Graham already was well aware of this. Taylor, you probably as well. Ryan, you as well. I thought, coming into this year, that Gerasi was, like, a young breakout star for Stuttgart. So I, I knew that he was in the squad last year doing some good stuff. He, he's not a young breakout star. He's 27. He's a veteran number nine. He's played for a handful of clubs in France, is now on his second team in Germany. And he's having a career year at 27, which I think is awesome. And I think it's remarkable. In terms of the scouting report, really good right foot, dangerous in the air, can create his own shot with really quick, sharp touches, or can slip behind the back line. He's good with his back to goal. His big thing, though, is being elite at finding, creating, and exploiting space inside the box. I think it's going to be fun to see what Girassi and Guinea can do in that top-heavy Group C that I continue to mention. Like, that is the group. Listeners, if you're a neutral coming into this tournament, like, turn into Group C matches because I think they're going to be so much fun. That's my Garassi bit. I've got breakout stars, but Taylor, do you got anything on uh, a Bundesliga yeah, just, player here? Uh, an important thing for me is that if we're creating a Taylor bingo card for TSS, can one of my squares be Taylor shakes head when Joe refers to a player in their mid to late 20s, similar to the way we talk about like <laughs> Gordy Howe playing hockey into his 50s? I don't love a 27-year-old being like, it's remarkable that he's still scoring goals. Hey, Joe, <laughs> yep. knock it off. Yeah, knock it yeah, off. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, that, that can go on the bingo card, though. Leverkusen and, and uh, age bristling, I think makes sense. Thank you. I'm going to leave. <laughs> Uh, Lamine Kamara for somebody else because I think we all had him down I think we've all else. You're the last one. <laughs> I left him for you. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll do Lamine Kamara. I literally have four breakout players and these were whittled down from a much larger list. So uh, here we go. This is the Kamara scouting report that I have. 20 years old. He is the youngest player in this Senegal squad, which I think immediately draws attention because we all have them down as a favorite, if not the favorite. He's like a sort of a 6-8 kind of hybrid player. Starts for Mets in Ligue 1. Played a couple of years in Senegal before moving to Mets in 2023. His first goal for Mets in Liga was a 58-yard, 58-meter. Did anybody else see this? Okay, it yes. seems like Taylor saw this. Ridiculous. Shot from inside his own half. Not only does he go, and I think he intercepts the ball, or somehow he wins it inside the half, he also like calls the striker off, right? So it's this young kid playing in midfield. His first goal, I don't believe he scored a goal in Liga since then, by the way. Like, he, he maybe doesn't he doesn't matter. call it off, but he goes and, and 10. he yeah. rushes to the ball. And takes the shot instead of just abdicating and leaving it for the striker. It's it's awesome. And it's even uh, even more awesome because he is such a young player in that moment. He started games for Senegal. He started in a friendly recently for them. 
which makes me think that there's a real path to minutes, even with a very good Senegalese team and a strong midfield depth chart in that squad for Cisse. He's not you know, crazy physically imposing in terms of his height, but he's skillful on the dribble, carving through midfield on the ball, and he's rangy. Like, he will cover a lot of ground, a good mixture of technical traits, decent physical ability, like, can improve his passing game still, but is a really fun player. So if you're looking so, for a young star to watch in the Senegal squad, Taylor, I think it's it's Kamara. Yeah, Joe, sorry to jump in there. I just, uh, regarding his passing, that, that was actually a thing that jumped out to me. His long-range passing uh, is, is pretty exceptional, especially with Senegal. I saw him hitting a lot of we call them like direct over balls where they're long balls over the top, but they're not just like hoofed long and hopeful. They're like kind of driven into the channels, driven into space. Uh, and, and he has really good vision between the lines as well. I saw him splitting uh, like, like two midfielders and two defenders to play a ball into the channel. I think he has good long range passing again. He is really young, so we don't know how much he'll end up playing or if he starts, uh, but he is one who I really do think could come away from this tournament as a household name. He's one I expect to make a jump sometime in the near future. Taylor, did, did did you just make hoofing the ball long and route one sound more technical and impressive than it is? I like to marketing the British. I, I was in it for decades it. now. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> I do because there there is like uh, I'm trying to think of a, a good way to put it. It's just like a lofted ball versus a driven ball where it's clearly intended for somebody. It's the difference between like hoofing it long and a player runs onto it and then they're in a battle versus hitting it directly so that a player like basically is on the end of it in stride. I saw a lot of those balls for him where he plays somebody into space and it gets to them yeah. like within five yards and they take that first touch and they're away. That's the kind of ball I saw from him. Well, yeah, I think I think it. he's got a good passing range. The, the passing area that I don't see in his game yet is his consistent ability to break lines in midfield with his passing. I think he tends to do it almost more like Yunus Musa, right? Where Musa will almost every time prefer to glide forward on the ball under pressure than like find the simple pass or find even the, the difficult ball on the floor. I think that's probably the next step for Kamara's game. He's a good player. I mean, Kamara, I think he benefits from the fact that he's playing for a Senegal team that's getting a lot of appropriate hype coming into this competition. I'm not sure he is the breakout star that I'm most looking forward to watching. So I'll get to the rest of the names on my list. Jan Kuba, Minte. Plays for Feyenoord, plays for Gambia, um, just to really stay on theme for me in Group C, which I cannot get out of. 19-year-old winger, moved to Denmark in 2022, then Newcastle came in for him, signed him, and loaned him to Feyenoord for this season. He's a name that, that maybe some folks already know because of that Newcastle connection or because he's playing for one of the top teams in the Eredivisie. He's been real good for Feyenoord this year. Four goals, two assists. He's not an every-game starter in the Eredivisie, um, but he is getting minutes there and starts there and in the Champions League as well. Left-footed, very, very good left foot, good in tight spots, elite world-class speed. Like, you go through and you, you read interviews of folks that have sort of helped him along the way or, you know, his previous club in Denmark or now where he is or Newcastle or whatever. Like, they mention this searing directness that Minta has he is one of the fastest players on tape that I have ever seen in my entire life. Now, it's balanced out by a developing technical ability as well, but this guy is a constant thorn in the side of opposing fullbacks. I like him best on the right side where he can cut in on his left, but I think he totally works on the left wing as well as just this searing option on that left side, playing as more of a traditional winger. He doesn't have many caps for Gambia. Again, just 19 years old. He had a little injury that kept him out of the November window. Um, so he, he didn't get starts in the window you know, closest to this one. But he absolutely should start for Gambia. I think he, he's probably their best player and certainly their best young player. So there's Yankuba Minte. He's worth watching. Franculino, Ulino, Jew, plays for Guinea-Bissau. 19-year-old striker, plays for Midtjylland in Denmark. 
Uh, I mentioned Al-Ali earlier as sort of the premier club in Egypt. Midtjylland are, are different, but they are the premier club in Denmark, certainly in terms of youth development. And so if you're a 19-year-old player at Midtjylland, that is a really, really good sign for you. He joined the club in 20, uh, 2023. Six starts, six goals, and six, 600 minutes in the Danish Superliga this year. Jew is left-footed, really good at slipping in behind the back line. Kind of taller, lanky striker, good size to head the ball towards goal. Raw, but really, really talented. And I think he could start for Guinea-Bissau in this tournament. So Jew is certainly a player worth watching. And then my last one, quickly, is Christopher Wu, who plays for Ren in yes. Liga. Cameroon, yep, Graham. All right, Graham's on board with this. 22 years old, so a little bit older than the rest of the players that I spotlighted. And I'm not sure he has the ceiling of some of the center backs that have come through you know, Liga, which is a, a farm for developing, you know, really talented center backs and players in general. But Wu, seven starts for Ren this year in Liga, starts regularly for Cameroon. I think he'll be a starter in that back line. Could be a back three for Cameroon. That's something to monitor. Born in France, has played in Liga since 2021. Right-footed and can ping some of those diagonal balls that you're talking about, Taylor, or some of those balls over the top. Like, fantastic long-range distribution. Really good ball progressor on the dribble and with his passing. Can play in a back, a back two, really, of two center backs, a back four. Or in a back three, like promising young center back is going to be a bright spot for Cameroon. Someone that could maybe help calm what I, again, think is going to be a chaotic squad for Cameroon. Yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. Joe Christopher was a, a player that I looked at as well. I think he is important for Cameroon because they've got that spine with Zambo and Gisa and, and Abubakar and, and, and Akambi, but they don't have that kind of natural defensive leader. And I think the hope is, even though he's only 22, that he will become that that, that player for Cameroon. Another defender, um, Taylor actually mentioned his name earlier, but I think he's worth spotlighting a little bit more. Usman Diamande for I Ivory Coast. Not a name that a lot of listeners will have heard of, um, but I reckon that is going to change over the next few years and we will probably change it this too tournament as well he signed for sporting in portugal from uh, Michelland and in, in, in denmark and um, so they're doing a lot of good scouting of, of, of african football he joined in january 2023 and since then he has kind of earned himself a reputation as one of the best young defenders around google's has google his name and you'll see links to liverpool and manchester united and sporting have already inserted an 80 million euro release clause in his contract so that says a lot about how they view him, and I think a, a good AFCON will will only add to his reputation. He's got everything you would kind of expect from a modern centre-back. He's physically imposing, he's good with the ball, he's intelligent, technically capable. So yeah, he's he's a real talent, and if Ivory Coast are going to go far in this tournament, I think he will have a, a good AFCON. To finish off the pod today, gents, could we get uh, a key storyline or a most interesting stories you're watching or you think will develop throughout this tournament? Taylor, if you'd like to go first there. Uh, yeah, I, I have... A couple. I'll just do one briefly and one a little bit more lengthy. Uh, just the situation with Ghana, which Graham sort of outlined already. But uh, Chris Hutton is there to the happiness of apparently no one and maybe even Chris Hutton. Uh, it seems like the FA doesn't really want him there anymore, uh, but they also haven't really done much to support him. They've required certain players to be included. Uh, he hasn't really had, I think, as I understand it, free reign to select a full squad. At the same time, he's also been very conservative in his approach when it comes to squad selection, also when it comes to his tactics. And again, to my understanding, that means he has gotten a lot of criticism from Ghanaian media. They're not really loving the way the team is playing under him. They're certainly not loving some of the results. Graham mentioned the U the U.S. loss. They also were beaten 
pretty comprehensively by Mexico in that same window. And it's a lot of the same team from those friendlies is in this tournament. I strongly suspect Chris Eaton <laughs> is sacked uh, immediately after Ghana is eliminated uh, from this tournament in what I would assume will be unceremonious fashion, which maybe means now I've secured them winning the whole thing. But yeah. I, I don't well see done. happy times for Chris Eaton ahead or Ghana. The other one that I wanted to spotlight because I think they're just really fascinating and I knew nothing about them or the country, is uh, Cape Verde, who are uh, an island nation in the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Western Africa, uh, had a prominent and, like, I don't know if, if other editorializing words, uh, role in the slave trade, uh, then moved into tourism uh, much more recently, but is a nation where the diaspora population is significantly larger than the actual population of this uh, volcanic island chain and I think that's reflected in the squad itself I, I think when you look at the clubs that these players are coming from I think it's 16 different countries are represented so they're coming from all over the world but there are some interesting names involved in there you've got uh, Jao Paulo from Sheriff Tiraspor in Romania we talked about them a few years ago in the Champions yes. League he's still there we've got uh, Jamiro Montero and Steven Moreira from uh, MLS so you've got some MLS names involved and the man the myth the legend I don't know how much he will play but Bebe himself, Bebe of Manchester United, yes, <laughs> that Bebe is in this team. He is still playing. Not, he is still scoring is it goals. It's the same Bebe. It's not his son. It's not Bebe's baby. I mean, let's hope. Oh, let's baby. hope that one day happens that they, <laughs> that father and son play together. Uh, but I, I think, like, it's just they're a really interesting team who have talent. I don't think that they will comfortably get out of the group. Maybe they get through as one of the best third place teams. But it's a really interesting collection of players coming together who are all sort of of a similar level. So I feel like you could get a team that could gel, put in some some sort of like Northern Ireland at the Euros sort of performances where they come together, they kind of grind their way to results and they somehow manage to make it to the next round. I think Northern Ireland did that. Uh, so I don't know they if they're going to cover themselves in glory. I remember it well. Yeah. I remember being there you go. very envious, um, not at all better about it. I'm, I'm here to report that Bebe is 33. Shut the front door. Come right? on. It's yeah. another one. It's another one. Huh. Uh, and, and scoring goals and looking good. So, wow. uh, and also quite handsome. Uh, so actually looking good too. Uh, so I just think they will be an interesting team. Not necessarily a good team, but an interesting team to watch. All right. Uh, Graham, um, in the last tournament, I think we had Burkina Faso going deep. We had Comoros coming out of the groups as well. Yeah. Have we got, a, have we got a, a, a minnow dark horse of sorts here? Well, well, maybe I wrote about uh, Mauritania for the, for the newsletter, which will be sent tomorrow. But basically, they want to be the next Comoros at this at this Afcon. It's their third successive successive Afcon. They hadn't qualified before 2019, so they're on this little run of qualification. But they've never won a game. They've only got one point from six group stage matches so far. So they they aim and um, they're starting small is to win a game at this tournament. But they have hired the Comoros manager Amir Abdu um, from the last Afcon, and their story in general is just a really interesting one they've got this federation chief who has made himself one of the most politically powerful people in african football he's best mates with infantino don't hold that against him he's getting a lot of fifa funding and has these co collaborations with spain and luis rubiales again do not hold that against him he's getting a lot of funding and coaches coming over and he's completely overhauled football in in this country that's just um that has a population of just 4 million people. Um, so yeah, as you kind of referenced, Ryan, every AFCON, there's a minnow that does something special. And I, I wonder if this AFCON, it might be uh, Mauritania. All right. Read more about that in the Soccer Dispatch newsletter uh, available where all good newsletters My are My favorite newsletter. 
second favourite for me. <laughs> Joe! As, it, as the favourite AFCON dispatch as it's been uh, rebranded for the next month. Uh, sure. Special yeah. offer, £2.50. Subscribe, please. That's been on my plug. There you go. Thank you very much for squeezing that one in. We still don't know where you find the time to do all these excellent things, Graham, but we will uh, support them all the same. Joe, uh, your talking point, your storyline you're following here. Yeah, I'm curious to take the tactical temperature of this tournament. Yes, I'm just playing into the bit at this point, but that is one of the things that I'm most curious about. You know, I don't tend to watch a whole lot of African football, so I'm curious to see, like, what are the trends that we see? Are there are there patterns that we see across? I know, you know, there's not a ton of uniformity always between teams in the same confederation, right? It always bothers me when, you know, Greg Brother comes out and talks about how we needed to get competition from this particular continent. Like that's an indication of like what the best teams on that continent are doing. But nonetheless, I'm curious to see like, what are the primary tactical themes that we see? Are there any between uh, teams and at this tournament, what tactics are popping up? We talked about Senegal at the very start of this episode. I'm curious to see what we see from them and the rest of the big teams under Aliusise. I've never been particularly impressed tactically with, with Senegal. Like they used a lot of 4-3-3 and I, I will expect that we're going to see more of that in this competition, but it's a lot of freelancing. Like it's a lot of players popping around and trying to pick up the ball and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of structure. Is that what we're going to see? And and how does that compare to what we've seen in the past at past AFCONs? I'm really curious to see what the dominant tactical approaches are in this competition. Listeners, I think it's very important to note that while Joe was talking about that being on brand and talking about his interest in tactics, he did push up his glasses two different times. Correct. Yes. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I also enjoy the Kendall Roy-esque taking the temperature of the tournament. Yeah. Third time. Feels third good, time, right? Yeah, pushed up by Feels Joe good. Then. Love it. Did Love I, it. I just did it the third time. Did I actually do it the first yes. two times? <laughs> really I was did. completely <laughs> subconsciously. I need to get them adjusted. No one cares about this, but they keep falling down my nose. Uh, and I look down at my laptop a little bit from where I'm sitting. I did not even know that. Well. You, you really did say on brand for me and then like adjusted your glasses and then continued. <laughs> Excuse me. In that case, I think they become spectacles. When you are embracing the inner nerd, then they're spectacles instead Correct. of glasses. Mm-hmm. Excellent observations for this audio medium. One other thing to note, by the <laughs> way, um, the tournament is available in the US on Bein Sports. You should find that on your Fubos, on your Slings. Yeah, don't Still- post any video. By the way, do not film your screen and post any video. They are strong with their takedown requests. That is the only time the TSS account has had a takedown uh, notification. Was when I posted Kaladu Kulabali slow motion, like blowing his mouth. Uh, which I thought was hilariously funny. They did not. So don't post video. It's like the slow motion where he goes like, <sniffs> Joe's making a face. Oh, a raspberry. He does that, but yeah, a raspberry. Uh, but it's like slowed down. And when it's slowed down, it's a ridiculous image. There, there you, you go. go. Well, I'm glad they're strong with something, Taylor. Uh, thank you very much indeed for the AFCON previewing, Taylor Rockwell, you've been doing in this here podcast. Very informative stuff. Uh, yes, I believe I, I accidentally waded into a mistake I made previously. I think because they're Portuguese, it's actually like Cap Verde is how you pronounce the name of the country, not Cape Verde, which is what I said. And I feel like this was a source of debate and contention on Twitter the last time I talked about this country, which I do not remember doing other than mispronouncing their name. So that's always a good sign. Other than that, it's been my pleasure, Ryan Bailey. Absolutely. An update, by the way. Sid Lowe says Girona, not Girona. I just learned that this week. So maybe that affects our future pronunciation style. Or he's a fraud. Either way. Joe Larry, thank you very much for your uh, contributions. Sidlow, if you happen to be re- listening to this, I'm a big fan of your work. You're probably not He's a not. fraud, and likely we're all wrong on this. Ryan, this was fun. Yeah. Thank you. It was indeed. We love you, Sidlow. Graham Ruthven, thank you very much for your contributions, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. I'm off to uh, blow my mouth. And thank you very much, listener, for joining us on this podcast. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs>